Hi everyone, Steve Perriman here on my podcast. Sounds good to be able to say that. On Wednesday evening, uh, with Spurs in the encouraging position of being third in the league and a European game to come tomorrow evening. So of course, this was achieved with the victory gained over Brighton last weekend. And uh, of course, Mr. Bow opening his account for us in spectacular fashion, but we all know as Spurs supporters, there's a hell of a long way to go. Um, I hadn't moved house at that point of beating Brighton because of signal difficulties in the hotel, so wasn't able to access the game live. I did watch the highlights though, and delighted with not only the result, but the far post position taken up by Harry Kane that ended up with him hitting the post. I did point out this that this position is key when attacking corners and can be one, yeah, one only of the major match situations that can make the difference between winning and losing. Conversely, the far post is a vital area to defend when defending corners for exactly the same reason. And sometimes as a manager, you you haven't really got enough players to mark everyone and mark every bit of space. And you it's a toss-up whether you put, if you're going to put one man on the goal line, do you put him near post or far post? And of course, you're only right if you're right. And that would be not conceding a goal. But for me, in my experience, it would always be the far post that you, uh, you look after because of this, this vulnerable position. I'm relieved to say that we've now at last moved into our newish property in Wiltshire. Yay. I, well done, Howard. Thank you. I'm not sure that the local villagers here have ever seen three such gigantic removal lorries and maybe thought that they'd have been so large to cope with all of my trophies, caps, etc after such a long, eventful and distinguished career. Of course I'm, of course I'm joking. So with these three lorries unpacked and the house is now full of boxes that need sorting out. And my wife has been a Trojan in this respect. So for most of two days, she's opened up, sorted them out. But as I've said to her, we've got an, another full month of lockdown to be able to sort them out. As ever, stuff can't be found, some important stuff, some not so important, but eventually, of course, it'll all come to light. One thing I hope doesn't surface for at least a couple of weeks is the weigh-in scales. I say this because during the first lockdown, I lost nearly five kilos just by being careful and respectful of the situation. If you couldn't find certain food or types of food that let's say don't help the waistline. Lockdown finishes and 10 weeks in a hotel. And I suspect that I've regained 
to five kilos and more, but this can't be proven as no scales to actually prove it. So the point of these podcasts is to mention games from the past that may jog your memories of yesteryear. Howard is with us again. Welcome, Howard. Hi, Steve. Hi, Tom. Uh, and thank you for helping us out again to relate some West Bromwich Albion memories. Where are you going to start with, Howard? I'm going to start with April 1962. Brilliant. Carry on. That was against West Brom at White Hart Lane. They are a real yo-yo team. They didn't win the League or Cup, but they spent most of the time moving up and down between the top two divisions. They featured in some major matches with us, but none more so than the one in April 62. We'd won the League and Cup double the previous year. The double was the Holy Grail at that time. No side had won the double in the 20th century, though many came close. Spurs captain of the double side was a mercurial character called Danny Blanchflower. His claim to fame outside of football was when he walked out of his own story on the very popular TV show, This Is Your Life. Rumour has it that he approached Mr. Whale, the Spurs chairman, and told him that we were going to win the double that coming season, and we did. Wow. The following year, 61-62, was in many ways better than the double year. With four games to go, we were still in with a chance of pulling it off. There were no things like substitutes, so if someone got injured, they'd put them out on the wing just to carry on. With five league games to go, this was our fixture list. 20th of April, Blackburn at home. 21st of April, where's West Brom at home? 23rd of April, Blackburn away. 28th of April, Birmingham away. And 30th of April, Leicester away. They all complain about the fixture list at the moment. Wow. This was three games in four days. Amazing. You'd expect us to win the two home games and maybe struggle with some of the away games. But this is Tottenham. If we can win all these games, we might just achieve the double-double. We won 4-1 at home to Blackburn. We then lost 2-1 at home to West Bromwich Albion. I'm told we threw everything at them, but to no avail. This effectively ruined our chances of overcoming the top two, Ipswich and Burnley. We still won our last three away games, 1-0, 3-2 and 3-2. But by then it was over. However, we won the cup again, which was brilliant, but sadly missed the real big victory. Another West Brom match that stands out for me was the League Cup semi-final in February 82. We were drawn with West Brom in a two-legged match. The first leg was at the Hawthorns on a rainy February evening. It was just Viv and I going to the match. It was a scrappy, tight affair, which ended nil-nil. We had Tony Galvin sent off in a clash with future Spurs manager Martin Yol. The second leg was we played the following week. I'd had a tough day at work that day, so Viv volunteered to drive home so that I could have a snooze. I fell asleep, eventually being awoken by many sirens and flashing lights. I asked Viv what was happening. She said she had no idea, but the police were directing traffic to get off the motorway at the next junction. She was waved into the next available space and pulled up. The officer asked her to step from the vehicle. She obeyed, but added, I don't know why you've called me over. He showed her the speedometer that they were using and said she was at times exceeding 100 miles per hour, and these flashing lights were all for her. She flashed her wide innocent eyes at him and he went her off on her way with a smile and a warning not to drive so fast. She still does drive very fast, but these days it's across London. You'll be pleased to know we won the second leg 1-0 and progressed to the final where we lost 3-1, having been leading from an Archibald goal in the first five minutes. 
Graham Souness was Liverpool's captain at that time, and in those first two minutes, he hurt Tony Galvin badly. He struggled through the rest of the game. We held the lead till two minutes from time, but then lost it in extra time. But a great year. A couple of things from that, Howard. Um, Vivian, um, I know all about her driving. And the fact that she got let off, I, I would have thought she still wrote to her local MP to complain about something. Why are you laughing, Howard? Because it's true. Anyway, uh, the other one was you said about no substitutes. And if a player got injured, he was put out on the wing. I wonder if that's the reason for being called winged. When you get injured, you could be winged. <laughs> Maybe it follows on, who knows? So also to follow on about the sending off, um, I spoke to Tony Galvin today. Mm -hmm. Bearing in mind, I mentioned Tony Galvin being sent off last week against Brighton. This is not a good, good subject to talk to him about at the best of times. But he was getting away from Martin Yole and Martin Yole was trying to pull him back and pull him back and eventually Tony had to succumb and just, just armed him off as a, as a last resort to try and get clear. Martin Yo apparently acted and went down on the ground as if he'd been punched and the referee, probably rightly so, uh, sent them both off because they both were, were on a book in anyway. So um, anyway, Tony didn't mind talking about that because the system was in those days, as with the Brighton game, he wasn't suspended straight away for the, for the sending off. So again, after Brighton, he was allowed to play against Arsenal and we managed to win 5-0, so no bad game to play in. And of course, he had also to play in the second leg. And um, so I've got some information on the second leg against West Brom at home that we won 1-0. Mickey Hazard scored the goal and... Um, I said to Mickey about half hour ago, tell me about the goal, Mick. Well, Stevie, it just dropped in the box and I volleyed it. Bloody good goal. He said, we really outplayed them, but only won one nil. So um, I asked him if it was on YouTube. And he said, no, Steve, I haven't looked for it. I never look for YouTube games. But if someone sends me it, I'd be very grateful and I could just see myself score yet another goal. So our team that night was, that was, it was 47,000 people at that victory. And I, was, I bet we all had a good night that night because we qualified to play at Wembley. Clem in goal, Hewton, Miller, Price, Hazard, Stevie P, Ozzy, Mark Falco, Tony Galvin, Hoddle and Crooks. And the sub was not used that particular night. So um, that's enough about West Brom. We, we wish our team all the best for the weekend. Keep the good form going. A um, couple of things I want to mention before we go. Um, really sad news about Nobby Styles. Uh, such a good professional and, and we all know his, his antics and his play during that famous 66 World Cup win. And also Bobby Charlton. And Bobby Charlton was, when I was growing up, if you met a foreign person and you were trying to describe to them where you were from, you could say lots of things 
with no response. But if you said Bobby Charlton, then they knew you were English because it seemed like the whole world knew about Bobby Charlton back in his heyday. I've heard lots of different stories about Bobby and his wife, um, but I can only tell you from my personal experience, and it's a, it's a story I'm really pleased to tell. So working in Japan, um, I get an invite from the British Embassy. I must have been on some list that if notorieties came to visit Japan and Tokyo in particular, then I was on a sporting list where I got invited. So get the invite to come and meet Mr. and Mrs. Bobby Charlton. He was over there um, being paid by the Japanese FA to sort of back their World Cup bid, which they were successful for. And now they were trying to drum up interest in that World Cup. And Bobby was booked to sort of do a visit about six places there, probably where the World Cup venues were. And um, so I met him and as luck would have it, um, we won the championship, the Japanese, the J-League on the, the weekend. And on the Tuesday, I was in Tokyo meeting Mr. and Mrs. Bobby Charlton and which I was so proud to, to, to meet. So this is great timing for Bobby, an Englishman coming to Japan when an Englishman has won the, the league title. And if Bobby Charlton gave, he probably gave about a 30 minute speech and at least half of it was, was, was about me and my team. It was easy to talk about because this Englishman, me, um, with Aussie's help for three years and then myself for the following two years, we produced a team that didn't only win the league, we finished with the most goals with the least goals against and the best um, disciplinary record. So all this was down Bobby's street. And so he, he reveled in the fact that he could talk about this. More importantly, he was asking me about my family, my two daughters. Remember one was six month old when we went to Japan, another one was born there. And him and his wife were so interested in them about them being able to speak Japanese, go to a Japanese school, the, our way of life as a family. And I found them really, really properly good people. So very sad that um, he's got dementia and that's just come out. Um, so, of course, the, the, the story followed on that, you know, a couple of years back into England and I decided to move down to Devon and help Exeter City. And we were lucky enough to get Man United in a third round draw. So this is big, a big day for us all. And, and the family went, my wife went with the two little girls and I was in the boardroom and Mr. and Mrs. Charlton asked me straight away, Steve, where's, where's your family? So I said, no, they wouldn't be allowed in this boardroom, as you can imagine. And they, Mrs. Charlton went out, found my wife, found the two girls that she'd never met before, but just heard the stories. So invited them into the boardroom and uh, I thought that was a fantastic uh, gesture. And so I, I'm full of respect for, for both of them and, and wish them well um, in this current uh, 
problem they've, they've got. So I want to take this opportunity to thank Bob, my very good friend Bob, who supplies me with all this info on games I want to talk about. Um, Howard and Tom, as ever, uh, for their sterling work. Wish you all uh, a great rest of the week. Hope we can have success in Europe and uh, gain some much valuable and important points at the weekend by overcoming West Bromwich Albion. I've, I always enjoyed playing against West Bromwich Albion. I really, really liked playing at the Hawthorns. It was one of my favourite grounds. And I um, particularly like the style now of Billich, uh, the manager, who I think is building something uh, really good at West Bromwich Albion. Mustn't forget as well, we have the link with them because of Ozzy Ardiles managed them and took Keith Birkinshaw with him some years back and Ozzy did well enough to gain a promotion. So well done to those two. And um, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I'm happily settled into my new home. I won't need to tell you any more stories about it um, unless something uh, funny happens. But um, for now, thank you for listening and hope to speak to you next week. Cheers. See you up the Spurs. Thank you.